Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello everybody and welcome to the show. It's made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're joined by a man who started his AFL career as a father-son draft there at Collingwood and ended it having won a premiership at the Sydney Swans. Nick Davis will forever be remembered for his last quarter heroics in the Swans' thrilling 2005 semi-final win over Geelong, a heritage-listed piece of footy history. But it wasn't all roses for Davis, whose sublime skills were counted by injury setbacks on field and just the odd bit of drama off it. And in the years since, there's been dalliances with an NFL punting career, the horse racing industry and the NRL Nines. Nick, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm not sure if we're going to get through it in 45 minutes, but we'll give it our best shot. It's a weekly challenge. But hey, for the here and now, exciting times. What a season your Swannies are having. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, look, the the young fellas uh, and the older fellas, Bud and, and look, Sam Reed is is you know, having a career year at the moment. But um, yeah, it's a exciting times up here uh, to go along with the, the AFLW girls as well, entering the competition. So yeah, the, the moment at the Sydney Swans, it's uh, it's a very good, uh, very good place to come. Coming to work. What's your brief at the Swans these days? The head coach of the Swans Academy, so uh, working through uh, both the the boys and and the and the female academy programs, got youth programs from 11s to 15s, and then our our top end programs, uh, 16s, 17s, and 18s. Across all of those, and doing just a little bit of work with the AFLW girls as well, and some goal kicking with the seniors. So I'm across uh, I'm across all three teams, and at the moment, uh, as you said, it's, it's going well. Just coming back to the men's team. I mean, do you see any of yourself? in this group a bit of papley maybe he probably puts you to shame in the yap department but you'd have him you'd have him covered with that beautiful kicking action of yours yeah he's nah yeah perhaps will haywood um mm. a lot of those small forwards i was like lucky enough when i was um in development at in the senior program to work with them in their in their first few years at the club as well so it's really good um then obviously now being able to have worked with isaac alan mills through the swans academy to have two you know, all australians come out of our academy is a really big effort to everyone involved and then also uh more recently Braden uh, Campbell and, and Errol Goulden knowing how good of a player he was and, and seeing him being able to do it on you know, on the AFL stage is um, is really uh, enjoying to watch such an exciting young group you got up there and that's all that we see on the field but what about you know so much is made uh, every year on the Bloods culture and games like last weekend's gritty qualifying final win over Melbourne a why how do you go at doing the impossible and putting that into words it, it's something that has evolved as well the, the fabric of it has been there 
there since 2003, my first year here, coming back from Collingwood. And, and it has evolved. Uh, I think the playing group, and it was important that each playing group uh, have turned it into their own version of, of what it what it is and what it looks like and the, the mythical creature that the, the Bloods culture is. But I think everyone, look, apart from that little two-year absence from the finals, it, it's been a club that, that's been successful both on and, and off the field. So yeah, I'm lucky enough to have, have, have played and, and now be involved in coaching at the club and, and I've just yeah, as you said I've seen the, the culture evolve through the playing groups and, and, and this young side have, have taken it and, and they're running with it as well Sydney's very much home for you isn't it obviously you were raised there it probably pulled at you a bit when you were a young up and comer at Collywood and it's where you've got a family of your own these days isn't it yeah myself and, and my daughter Jordan so we're uh, yeah we're in the in the south of, of Sydney she's a part of the, the, the Swans Academy as well yep. um, she goes not too bad so good luck to uh, I'm really careful who I get to coach her in it because the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree in regards to some of her training habits but she um, she loves her AFL footy and yeah, she's got aspirations of AFLW one day she hasn't specified if she wants to be a swan or she could go uh, to mm. Collingwood as well but she, um, look, she's really enjoying it at the moment but yeah grew up in born in Melbourne when dad was you know still playing at Collingwood and uh, we moved to Sydney when I was five and yeah so I grew up in, in Sydney throughout all my schooling years and then was sort of lucky enough with the with the father-son rule in place to sort of you know make a, a commitment to Collingwood at sort of 15 or 16 to that if everything went well and you know my draft year I was playing well that I would um, I would nominate Collingwood for the father-son rule so I was able to, to go down in, in a lot of school holidays and, and the back end of my under-18s career and, and spend some time in Melbourne and around the club and, and be ready to go which probably helped me in my first year there to, to play in round one and to play a few games in my first year because I was already sort of familiar with the players and the, and the coaching staff and how they played. Yeah, your father's obviously the former Collingwood full forward Craig Davis, 102 games for the Pies, but he played for Carlton as well, a bit for North Melbourne, a bit for Sydney. <laughs> but you up there, you would have grown up on a diet of rugby league, wouldn't you? I mean, how did AFL actually enter your life? Uh, yeah, when Dad moved up here, he moved up with um, with Tommy Hafey to be a part of the coaching staff at the Swans, and then he moved on to the New South Wales AFL. So I was already, I was always surrounded by, I was always surrounded by AFL in that regard but growing up in Sydney a lot of my school friends played league or, or soccer and, and that was my my first choice sports to play because I sort of know anyone else that was that was playing AFL at that time so I was able to, to cross code a bit I played a lot of soccer a lot of league for school and then with dad obviously working at the Swans in the AFL I always had a bag of footies and it was just myself and a rugby league oval and two posts no not in that four posts so maybe that's where some of the accuracy came from but <laughs> had a, a set of rugby league posts at the local high school and maybe that's where the and I've, I've spoken to people about it where the goal kicking sort of nous came from because I didn't really have anyone to kick to I just sort of kicked out the goal so much that I would have had tens of thousands of shots at goal as a kid rather than just kicking back and forth interesting isn't it because this is 80s and 90s and the Swans perhaps wouldn't have had the presence then that they do now no but... not at all it was probably sort of that 96 team where yeah. I was probably 16 at that stage where uh, they made the grand final with Plugger and, mm. and, and Paul Kelly and, and that sort of crew came through that um, it really you know got a bit of traction so I didn't really start playing Saturday competition AFL until 13 but between then and and as a kid at probably 8 or 9 I would have kicked the footy more than anyone so um, I had a, a pretty solid AFL grounding I still used to watch the games but as you said the, the Swans didn't really get that footprint until 96. You're listening to This Is Your Journey it's thanks to Tobin Brothers a family owned business since 1934 well as he touched on Nick Davis is about to start his AFL career at Collingwood that's after this. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to former Collingwood and Sydney forward Nick Davis. So Nick, as you touched on, you're taken as a father-son pick by the Pies in 1998. And So you were always, as you touched on, completely comfortable with going father-son, moving into state. I mean, did, did going into the draft itself proper get much consideration from you? No, it didn't really. Um, look, I'd, I'd had, you know, plenty of chats through uh, Collingwood and, and sort of dad and myself at that sort of 15 or 16, when you start making the the relevant representative teams that you do it through that stages. And um, the father-son rule was uh, was obviously there. And, and as I said previously, that look, given I was still playing good footy at my draft age, then Collingwood would would accept me as the father-son. And, and for someone, you know, growing up and look, I had some good issues and some social anxieties I would it was a it was a comforting thing to be able to say okay well look maybe I would have rather stayed in Sydney but if I had to go somewhere and not just go in the national draft and end up anywhere that to be able to you know, have the privilege to play at, at Collingwood first and, and the club that my dad played at was was something that um, was very appealing and I think you were given your old man's number 19 too so how did how did that come about was that something yeah, that you actually wanted yeah, it, was, it was a funny and I probably could have gone a different way because in the I, I did play I think I played maybe eight or nine maybe ten reserve games as a top-up player in my under 18 year and I wore number seven actually in in that in the reserve grade games because Graham Wright was still playing at the club and he retired the year that I got drafted and I had a little bit of a decision to make because number seven is actually my mum's favorite number and then uh and then number 19 all right uh the vacancy popped up when G um when he retired so being a you know a pretty traditional and a proud club I, I went with 19 and it was probably not a bad choice so, so looking back I mean it's easy now in hindsight but do you, did you feel you were ever completely comfortable at Victoria Park you know the footsteps of the old man the supporter base who demand a lot were you ever really was there a period of time where you were happy content and settled or did it never come yeah yeah, yeah. I was I think early in my early in you know, nine, not pre-season 98 and then the start of 99 I felt really good I, I played in all the the senior practice matches I've debuted in round one played the first you know, quarter of the season and and was playing fine and, and holding my spot playing on the wing and now I got injured I think I got I broke a couple of ribs, ribs at training and missed a couple of weeks and then got back in the side straight away and then the back end of that first year I think it sort of all just sort of told him it as a young kid and we didn't win many games and, uh, and I was sort of pretty tired at the end of the year and I was probably lucky that Tony Shaw and the coaching staff just kept giving me games for experience in the back end of the year my form probably had tapered off and I was you know the full year of AFL footy might have you know been weighing me down at the end but look I was up because he played in the last game at Vic Park and then all, all those sort of things that um that the club did was was really good to keep giving me um experience and then probably 2000 was a was a disappointing was a disappointing year for me I got injured a fair bit and you know some off-field things and I didn't come back for pre-season and took off halfway through pre-season for, for a few personal things and just probably didn't quite feel as comfortable then but coming back 2001 was definitely you know my best year 
year at, at Collingwood. Uh, the middle of that year, I played some really consistent footy off field. I wasn't injured. Um, I was in a really good in a really good mental space. And and that 2001 season was probably my best season at Collingwood. And then team wise, 2002. Look, I don't know whether if we had a one in 2002, I don't know whether I'd be. You know, sitting in these offices at the Swans at the moment, it would have been um, a really tough decision to walk out on a on a club that was you know building. We had a, a, a really strong list. If Anthony Rocker, that was a goal, and I think it was. Uh, things could have been a little bit different. Can I ask you where you were for that one? Were you ever yeah, behind the goals? And I thought I was heading back for the centre bounce. So um, yeah, and I think you know, I think a lot of people at the ground, except the the man in the white hat, thought it was a goal. I'd like to say things have changed and it'd be different now, but after the events at the Gabba, yeah, on the... that's true. <laughs> Probably not. What do you remember? Memories of grand final day itself. It was tight. It was tense. It was a greasy day. It could have gone. You know, it was it was a close affair. This one. Yeah, it was. Look, probably like that whole year um, in two thousand and two with with Mick, and he was such a great coach and mentor and father figure. And the the whole coaching staff that we had at at, at that stage were, were really you know, old school sort of players that have come to coach and and were really good for that young group. And we just got on such a roll in in two thousand and two, and and the Collingwood Army and everyone just sort of. T- told us how good we were and when we started believing it and the, the momentum got behind us uh, we went over to port in the in the qualifying final and, and they were on top I think we beat them over there pretty yeah. in front all night and they came back late I think that was Benny Johnson's tackle on Burgoyne in the square and I remember after that game we were like would everyone is the Collingwood people just telling us hey, you guys are going to win it and then we started we believed it and then again I think we had 80 something thousand at the MCG for prelim final 90% Collingwood supporters and as a young group to beat Adelaide there and then to get into the grand final against Brisbane that we I think we beat them earlier on in the year and we thought that we matched up pretty good against them and it was uh, it was a bit of a rainy day and it was so close and it was such a, a hard fought old school sort of footy game and yeah look we were pretty to go from such an emotional high being such young kids and we, we, we had such a great leader in Bucks and Scotty Burns and, and that sort of crew there but it would have been yeah, things could have been a lot different if we had got the chocolates that day Oh the army were up and about that prelim final against Adelaide you mentioned obviously the G 88,000 nearly yeah. 89,000 for a game against Adelaide which is an extraordinary crowd when during that season or perhaps not at all maybe it did come really late did you decide that you wanted to trade to Sydney yeah it was late look there was a there was a at that stage uh, of football like a pretty lengthy contract on the table from from Collingwood and on you know good enough money for a kid that was what would I have been 21 nearly 22 at that stage so it was probably you know wait the season out and, and and it was probably the one well if I signed at Collingwood I'd stay there forever it was I think it was four or five years at that stage which at, in early 2000s was at the moment that's that, yeah. that's not a long contract <laughs> at all but at that stage it, it was and it was going to be one of those ones well if I do want to go back to Sydney and it wasn't for extra money to come back for Sydney. I signed a, a contract of shorter length here and I didn't think that we just got beat in the grand final. I didn't think the squad was any better here in Sydney or anything. It was just, a, oh, okay, well, for my own peace of mind and, and mental health and, and to play what I thought was potentially better footy to come back to Sydney. If I was ever going to be able to go, it would be then. So it was more of exploring it. And if it happened, it happened. If it didn't, I would have gone back to Collingwood and re-signed it and got it done. So it was probably you know, just during that season, just weighing it up. And and probably, look, halfway through the season, I was pretty confident that I would want to come back to Sydney. But as the wind stacked up and as the team and, mm. and everything, and it, it became you know, increasingly hard and, and what the club had done. And, and Mick, oh, look, I grew up as a, 
as a West Coast supporter because when I sort of got into footy, it was early 90s and West Coast were you know such a dominant team and the Swans weren't much good at that stage. So I was a West Coast supporter and Mick was the coach and he lived around the corner from me in Hampton and did some you know some things for me that um, I'll never forget. And it, it was it was such a hard decision and look I know you can't have it all your own way, but it was sort of the last 10 minutes of the trade period and I didn't really after the 2002 grand final I still hadn't made a decision and there was a bit of unrest the club advised me not to come to the Copeland Trophy just because of the scene that it might cause because I hadn't made a decision and for the four years that I was there and sort of what I gave but I obviously got a lot more back from the club it was uh, disappointing that I couldn't thank whether they would appreciate the thanks or not I'm not sure but it would have been nice to and I've been able to see these people along the footy journey but to be able to say thanks for everything that they did because not only was it the four years that I was there, um, it was probably the two years before that. So mm. it would have been nice to be able to sort of say thanks for everything and move on, but that wasn't to be. How tough was it to tell me? That was the hardest. It was so hard. And it it was like halfway through it, I nearly like threw the handbrake on and and get actually Mick, I'll, I'll stay just for you. He was such a great mentor to me uh, football-wise and and personally he was the best coach that, that I had and got the most out of me at that stage and it was such a it was such a hard decision to to tell Mick and and telling him and seeing sort of his range of emotions of sadness and then anger and all those so it it was really hard did he try to talk you out of it or that just doesn't sort of happen yeah yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, there was there was so much of that and Mm. there was a lot of toing and froing and look probably after the season I did I came straight back to Sydney if I was in Melbourne and I had to sit down and and probably go through one more of those meetings with Mick I probably would have (laughs) caved in but um, it wasn't to be jeez it sounds like it's such a turbulent time isn't it and something that we probably gloss over at this time of year coming into trade period when Salvi's put in the trade request we just sort of don't appreciate perhaps the emotional roller coaster that players have to, to go through and then there's the supporter base and how they are reacting and I imagine it was a different time social media wasn't what, what it is now but did you have a feel from the Collingwood Army as to how they viewed it? Oh mate I did look and uh, yeah social media wasn't around but letters were around and, and people would send me pens saying that can you use this pen when you resign I want you to this is the pen that you use to resign your contract and sort of grand final night when we went back to Vic Park there was still there's again people asking when are you going to resign and again oh. use this text to sign the like whatever you need and it was such um, it was a turbulent time and like I said at that stage I was 22 years old and it's a lot to uh, absorb going through some some just some life things as well and and, and a lot of people throw up the the home and the going home and all that sort of stuff and people are, uh, are different some people like living away from home and some people like living near home and it was as I said it was a chance for me to, to come back to Sydney I didn't think the Swans were going to be a better list or, or I didn't think that we'd have the six seven years that we had when I came back so yeah it, it was a tough time not only for sort of myself and the supporters and um, no I, I did have a, a full understanding of what the Collingwood Army wanted and unfortunately um, I couldn't give it to them at that at that stage you with this is your journey it's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. you find them online at tobinbrothers.com.au. So, Nick Davis, Life in Sydney. That's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is the man responsible for one of the greatest clutch performances in finals history, Nick Davis. So, Nick, in Sydney, it started well, 32-19 in 03. You play every game and your new sides run to a prelim loss. But the next year in 04, there's hip problems, there's ankle problems. You miss a large chunk of the season. I mean, how tough was this time? Yeah, it was, look, coming back to Sydney and coming from a team or being a player in a team that just won a, I'm oh, sorry, played in a grand final and being the, the signing and Ruzi starting and the new sort of culture that we started here. Yeah, 2003 was a was a good season. I was able to understand where I was in the playing group early and be pretty focused. And as you said, got through you know most of the games in, in 2003. And again, Brisbane just killing me at that stage <laughs> in my life. But I, I did watch and, and as that final series went on and I obviously watched, um, had the first game against Collingwood at um, Telstra Dome. Got the win. Yep. Um, yeah, got through that and we were able to win that game and that was pretty emotional and then got through the season and then got through the finals and saw Collingwood were in and Collingwood, I think they played the prelim the day that we played Brisbane that night and they won and I was like, oh, here we go. My mm. God, I can see what's going to happen here. We're going to win this. I'm going to play Collingwood in the grand final the year after I left and it was three points behind Brisbane at three-quarter time and, and that great side ran over us here in Sydney. But mm. it was like, oh, I, I, I couldn't imagine what that next week would have been like. But yeah, 2004, I was pretty fit in the preseason. Played Brisbane in round one. Yeah, tore, the, tore my hip flexor. Not sort of Taylor Adams style from the weekend, but I, kicked, I think he kicked four goals in the first quarter and a half in the yeah. first game. I was really super fit and ready to go and then never just got you know, lost sight of the of the bunny there in, in 2004 four and never really got on the park and was always sort of half fit and half injured and came back in ended up playing a couple of twos games back in the year to, to try and get fit but um, ended up with the hip problems hammies and ended up with plantar fasciitis and snapped the plantar fat not again not Robert Harvey style didn't have to jump off the kitchen table but um, yeah just never really got going in, in 2004 but then that sort of preseason set me up for you know probably another one of my better career years in, in not just the last semi-final game but um in mm. 2005 I was able to be get fit and focused again and, and sort of play well just before we get to 05 so just in 04 the reports of the at the time I mean your motivation or lack thereof I mean how how much are we to look into the fact I think reported at the time that you're even considering what you wanted to do at this stage rugby league was mentioned for a time yep. you might have uh, taken some leave from the club for a time so can you let us into that a little bit those those sort of I suppose unfortunately darker moments of 04 yeah yeah as I said I sort of lost sight of the of the lure there in 2004 and and yeah, just sort of wandered away from the group. And it was a, a time where after 2003, 2004, that culture had really started to build up and the playing group had had some good traction with it. And and I sort of didn't, to use an analogy, I was swimming against the tide a fair bit. Um, I was resistant to a few of the things that I thought that I didn't believe in or I was just a kid that wanted to play footy and, and the club and, and the playing group were going in a direction and, and I was sort of just lagging behind a little bit. And yeah, and then when I wasn't playing, injured all the time and my, my sort of my rehab wasn't great and I just didn't I just didn't get that part of my, my career right I was always someone that just loved playing footy and loved training but when that adversity came I, I just didn't handle it that well and and my sort of separation from the group had 
had really, I think if I was playing and then I would have been a lot closer, but yeah, I just sort of, I separated from the group for, for a little bit. And as you said, took a little bit of leave to go, okay, well, this is the way the club, like, this is the way we're going. You're either in or you're out. And I was like, oh, well, I knew I had some mates that played rugby league and they didn't have to do it. So I thought, oh, well, maybe I might go and sit out on the wing or play fullback like I did it at school and, and play league. And I'd probably considered it for a week or two, but once uh, I'd sort of taken myself away from the group and realized how much I really did miss it and that my level of commitment to what the culture needed to be that I, I thought, oh, well, and I'll, I'll change a few things and, and get back in, which you know set me up for 2005. So you dive back in, of course. Now, you did a hammy in 05 as well, but you do feature 23 times, in, and I think you get going late, 16 goals in, in a month between round 21 and the semifinal. And just on this semifinal, the Cats coming to the SCG, I mean, how often do you reckon you've been asked about it in the 17 years since? Is this an annual event where every time semifinal yeah. weekend rolls around, <laughs> we might have got in early? Yeah, anytime semifinal week rolls around or a Swans-Geelong game, I'd, I'd go through the season first and yeah sort of got going and then that last month it was probably how I felt in in 2001 at Collingwood and I was really fit Dave Misson who was um our head of fitness and it was was probably one of the first you know fit group of fitness staff that I I had a personalized training program and being the personality that I am I, I like the attention that I got through that personalized training program and I and I did it and um, I got really fit and um, as you said I think yeah 16 goals in a, in a month there before the finals and yeah and the way that team was going it, it sort of reminded me a lot of the 2002 Collingwood team and being sort of the most recent player on the list that had played in the grand final I could see the opportunity going well this is what we did in 02 and, and we could make a grand final and nearly win it. And I thought our opportunity to win and all due respect to the other teams, I thought there was one other team that could beat us and that was West Coast. And other than that, I thought we had them all you know, pretty much covered. So tell us about this semi-final then. Because we need to set the scene because the team's trailing by 17 at the last yeah. change. And then by halfway through the last quarter, it's actually 23. You've kicked three goals in three and a half quarters. And actually your direct opponent, David Johnson's just kicked a, a goal the yeah. other way to make it the 23. And actually, did Kirky, did Brett Kirk really give it to you after that goal? Do you remember? Yeah, he did. Because I had to run past, because um, I ended up man on the mark um, when I was down there and he kicked it. So I had to sort of trot past the midfielders and Kirky grabbed me on the way pass and goes mate that was your man you owed us you owe us that one back and I was able to repay the faith pretty well but it was sort of off the back of you know, the the qualifying final against West Coast I thought we played really well over there they're always hostile games and games that we just loved loved playing in there was a couple of contentious umpiring decisions at the back and that's the home crowd and the home that's why you you finish on top and you get those sort of things and remember this is one of my most vivid memories of of footy is I remember sitting at Subiaco and we sort of and it's sort of similar to Craig McRae's comments about Collingwood and some of their players you know, laying down and mm and being losers after the game. And I remember we just sort of trudged off the field and like, oh, geez, we've come over here. We played against... 40,000 West Coast supporters and their players and we should we thought we should have won and we just were all slumped in the room going oh poor us and Ruzi comes storming through the door right everyone in coach's room and I thought oh, it's a bit harsh like like he was pretty angry and I thought he was going to give us a cook and he goes boys that's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen and if you display that three more times no one will beat you in this competition and we walked out of there like a new team we're like right we flipped the switch we're ready to go next week but unfortunately yeah, we didn't show up 
up for the first three quarters. It's extraordinary. So there's 14 minutes to go. You're down by 23 points. Yeah. And in those 14 minutes, you kick a right foot running snap, a set shot, another right foot running snap, and then that famous juggling left foot snap from a ball up with, with seconds remaining. I mean, I don't know if you can summarise these 14 minutes. You've had a bit of practice at it over the no. last 17 years. Is this just the AFL equivalent of just being in the zone? The ball bounces the right way. Every snap was absolutely flush. This is football nirvana. Yeah, it, it was one of those ones that you sort of hear and you I watch a lot of sports docos and Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, where you're just in the bubble and nothing, every, you just everything is happening around you and everything's in slow motion and you've got control of absolutely everything. And sort of, as you said, three-quarter time, I think we were in that 18, 19 points down and uh, we were a team that sort of, you know, controlled the stoppage, hit the ball in close and as half forwards, myself, Ryan O'Keefe, Adam Schneider, Eamon Buchanan would sort of circle the way so to speak we'd be the outside protecting the the mids and and Ruzi at three quarter time I remember this one too I was laying down getting a calf massage and Ruzi's like right I want the half forwards to still play the same role but we're going to hit it out to you guys and I was like oh here we go I'm, I'm a chance here I'm not just a, a plug in this stoppage I'm a chance to get the ball and Phil Mullen who was our player welfare manager who was out on the ground at that stage and he goes you'll win this game for us I'm like yeah I'll and this is no word of a lie. He goes, yeah. I was like, yeah, mate, we're winning this game. And then, yeah, the first goal was as exactly how I described it. It was Borley or Joel's hit it on the outside and mm. um, got a bit of a mismatch at the back of the stoppage and kicked a snap. Have to pick up four or five goals. The way they're playing, they're not going to do it this way. You've got to do Nick something Davis, radical. a chance from the pocket. Davis kicks up beauty. Here come the Swans. <laughs> I didn't do that. Some magic from deep in the fourth pocket. The margin back to 16 points. And, and that end is my, is my favourite end to go to is the change rooms end. So we'd, if I was having goal kicking practice here at the Swans over the years, 80% would be at that the, the round weekend. So yeah. um, at the first snap, yeah, the second one was I yeah, just got isolated inside 50. And Ryan O'Keefe said, he always says it's a kick to advantage, but it wasn't. It was just an absolute floating warp thing that, that came down and took that mark. Long from O'Keefe, long and strong. Nick Davis is the hope. He's the hope. Will he be the He's kicked 19-8 from set shots this year. Bravo! Swans are still alive! And then we sort of, that was sort of midway through the quarter and we got ourselves back to an opportunity where we thought we could run them over and then there was a bit of a, a stalemate there. And then the third one, again, Jason Ball, a ruck tap on the outside. Ty Canelli, I, I do remember him because I've seen him a lot. Um, Ty Canelli picked up a hand pass and was good because Irishmen wouldn't have known where to aim. In, in the forward line and dished it off and then maybe the, the years of rugby league skill kicked in because I was able to dish out a bit of a fend and, and snap one and that was probably the hardest one of the lot. Chance for Canelli. Davis. Davis has kicked two. He snaps from 40. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. He's kicked a goal. Unbelievable stuff from Nick Davis. Can you believe this? He's kicked three final quarter goals and the Swans are within three the last one was, and Ruzi said it, and anyone that else said it, it was an absolute set play, and we'd practiced it in the preseason. Who knows for that exact point of time, and everyone was in the right spot if you went through I want to ask you about this. I'm so glad you yep. mentioned it in this, guys, because uh, this is the goal, the famous goal, Huddos, I see it, but I don't believe it. Now, yep. Cameron Ling actually does a corporate presentation to companies down here where he actually starts his presentation with this piece of play. Oh. 
He can give me a cut from it if he yep. likes. So yeah, it's very impressive. I've seen it myself. It's all about leadership, strategy, working together, and sacrifice. Because the best you can do to describe it, Nick, is what everyone dragged out. There was an enormous yep. amount of sacrifice to clear yep. the space for you to run through. And you see it so many times at all levels of football. It's easy to be uh, honeys to the bee in this situation yep. and clog up the area. There was one person and one person only that was meant to get the ball in that situation, and he got it. Um, and everyone else was in the right spot. The actual best part of the story is if everyone notices what side of the square it was on and where it was hit, it was actually Adam Snyder's ball. But when we got there and was meant to block for him and we got to sort of the top of our our spot where we both would normally set up to block and he switched with me. He goes, no, nah, you're on fault and you go, you go. So we quickly switched and, and I went. So it could have been, or Odd Snyder's could have been the one that kicked the winning goal. But um, everyone else was in the right spot. Borley hit it in the right spot. Spot. A little bit hard, a little bit low, but not too bad. But um, you know, everyone was in the right spot. Everyone did their did their right job because, as you said, in the, in the spur of that last quarter, it could have been anyone yeah. could have come charging through and, and tried to get it. The right person got it at the at the right time and shinned it through. Simon could go any second. Swans need a goal. Incredible execution in a, in a stressful moment, in a stressful mm. environment. And you need all that the next week. I mean, the 72-year premiership drought ends. This this grand final was so incredibly tense. Uh, it was it went right down to the wire. Leo Barry was the hero in this one. Uh, I imagine it doesn't get much better than this, does it? I mean, uh, for the team stuff, but for you, is there time to just sit back and think individually? Everyone has their own story, what that flag meant for you and your journey? It was probably uh, for family first. Dad had played in, in four losing grand finals. Mm. He played in one at Carlton in, in 73 and then the three consecutive at, at Collingwood and then look I know how much he would have really you know enjoyed that 2002 if we had a one but to be able to for a family and a football family to to win a premiership that was something that was that I know was look he would have loved to have won one himself but it was a close second for his son to be able to, to do it and then a lot of it was for and was just for the different you know people that that help you in in different parts of your your footy career and my, my under 13s coach that get satisfaction out of it and you don't really know like you, you do it for yourself and you do it for your teammates and your, your sort of inner sanctum and your coaching staff and and support staff and a few and fans that you know but the amount of people and i'm sure all the other boys that played in it would be able to say the same thing that the people would be like oh i can die i'm happy now because yeah. i saw you want it i'm like i don't want you to die like come on like stick with this but like the amount of people that just were just thankful for for what the team was able to do for 72 years and and Ruzi did mention it sort of in the in the lead up to the grand final but it wasn't until you sort of can win and then as the years go on the amount of South Melbourne people that either that thank you for the the grand final or or they'll tell you the amount of people that tell me or, or can remember exactly where they were at the night of the semi-final is staggering like and, and people still come up I've had 
people write to me and ask if it was their dad's favorite piece of AFL history and can we play it at his funeral and like so many different ways that it's been it's touched people's life and and at this say at that time I was just wrapped because I kicked four goals and, and we went through the next week but now as the years go on plus 15 plus years that that people still it, it still sits in there as a part of one of their favorite parts of their life is something special great to have your company on this is your journey we're with Nick Davis thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives we'll be right back with Nick right after this you're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Mercurial forward Nick Davis has been our guest today. So we roll into 06. Nick, um, round 13, you've kicked four goals, three in a win over Fremantle. But after a quiet round 14, a Sydney loss to Adelaide, you dropped. So can you let us into this, another challenging chapter in your journey? You've had a massive yeah. 05 and then seemingly from the outside dropped out of nowhere. Can you, can you let us into the goings on here? Look, yeah, probably again, I just sort of wandered away from look, after 05, we you know, reset our, our club and our culture and what we wanted to do to be able to go back to back. And again, I probably just sort of wandered away in the off field and thought I was playing okay on the field, but yeah, off field in hindsight, I'd probably yeah, wandered a little bit and kicked four goals, you said against Fremantle, but but still playing okay and then got dropped against uh, after Adelaide. Spoke to Ruzi and he was like, oh, look, we're just worried about you in the moment. You're not covering the ground as well as you used to and we're playing at Subiaco. And I was like, well, last time I played there, it was a qualifying final and I kicked three goals. So so I had a little bit of a go there and like, oh, no, you'll miss this week and just play, play in the reserves, get yourself sorted and then away you go. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, no worries. And then on, on the way home, I think the boys left on, on Tuesday and we're playing Friday and I think a journalist noticed I wasn't on the plane and I was driving home and I just answered the wrong phone call at the wrong time. He rang, you, di- rang you direct. Yeah, he's like, oh, I just noticed that you weren't uh, on the plane. And I went, and I just, like, I wish I had have answered my mum's call or like, and just vented to someone before I vented to, I think it was Cords, Neil Cordy, and just unloaded everything that had just been sitting. There. And oh, God, as soon as I did it, and I was like mate why did you do that for and then I knew it was coming out I'd like never buy a newspaper but I bloody went Wednesday morning went and bought the newspaper and there it was on the back page and oh, I was no. like oh no this is gonna be a nightmare what and was I, it it was scapegoat yeah um, I'm the scapegoat semi-final hero and I was like oh no, this is good. And I was like, thank God Riz is on the other side of the country. When did he ring? Not until after the game. Right. He was so wild. Like it was it was not good. And then I was not then I was not in a good place. And I remember I was like the reserves were playing in Wagga actually. And I was like, Oh mate, maybe I just need a week off. And he's like, No, you need to play. It's gonna look worse if you don't play. And I'm like, No, I, I'm not playing. I'm not mentally I just can't play. And he's, and he's like, You gotta play. So they got me a flight to Wagga. Like I was that like, I didn't take boots. Um I was like, man, I'm not 
play and I can't play. So then Saturday morning, I'm walking through the main street of Wagga through trying to find pie and find a pair of boots to wear. And it was just, it was a nightmare. And then I just walked in here on the Monday and just, it was not great. The worst part of it, it was the old parent. It was the old, I'm not angry. Yeah. I'm just disappointed. Sort oh, no. of thing. But, but, when, but when, but when Rusey did speak to the media himself, I mean, he, he described it as a serious breach of trust. And in fact, yeah. you wouldn't be considered for selection in the senior side until you convince the coaches and your teammates that you were quite unquote interested in playing with them. So they were pretty strong words from the coach. Yeah, they were, they were. And I, I knew where I stood and um, look, I once it had all sort of thrashed out, I, I, I copped it and um, yeah, I think I, I, it was six weeks I was uh, unavailable for selection and was able to get my way back into the team luckily and in, for, in time for the finals. But that was a, a learning experience for Nick. In the media, if it was, if he referred to me as Davo, then I knew I was sweet. But if he referred to me as Nick in the media, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> right. You weren't one to slip quietly into retirement either. Tell us about the <laughs> NFL dream. Now, how, how far did you take it in the end? Uh, I was pretty close. Uh, I had a, a preseason stint at the San Diego Chargers. So I was over in, in the States for a while there and I was punting footy. And then also with my rugby league background, attempting to do both where it'd be the punter and the field goal kicker as well. So in the end, it was the field goals where the, the role that they'd sort of said to me was, if you can do both, then we'll, we'll give you the job. But what a didn't quite get the field goals up to NFL scratch uh, level and then came back and thought about going back but sort of understood how difficult it is to to crack that market going straight in you've, you've sort of seen a lot of and Michael Dixon who was an academy player that I coached here has gone through the college system and then that's really the in my opinion the best way to go through that if you if you don't initially get drafted into the AFL then get over and, and do go through the mm. college way but uh, the NFL um, it was a really good experience coaching wise as well I brought back some some things that I learned from from that. It was a long time ago, but um, I'm a big NFL fan anyway, so it was a good experience to say I was at the Char- Chargers for a little while and uh, met Phil Rivers and had a barbecue and all that sort of stuff. That was all pretty good. And then my partner and ex-wife at the time, she was a track work rider and um, ended up getting into the, the horse racing scene, which again is similar to my little mate, Tommy Papley, but uh, I was involved there. And Early starts would have done you in though, surely. Early starts did me in. That was, um, they, they, were, they were pretty brutal, but I really enjoyed it. And it was something that by the end of my footy career, probably for my own fault, and the way that the game went, I just had enough. I like when I got my, that last injury, it was I think it was someone tapping me on the shoulder saying, "Listen, it, you've got to get out of here before it becomes just a flaming mess." So look, the horse racing industry was I was just it was stimulating and just trying to learn something new because I'd just been playing footy since I was fifteen, so you know, fifteen years of your life just doing one thing, and yeah, that was a, a good experience. And then now at thirty nine, you came out of retirement to play NRL nights <laughs> for the Roosters. I know you'd been on staff there. For for a bit of working yeah. with the outside back. So what were you thinking here? Oh, that was a that was a story that sort of came about Friday after the grand final and after a week long celebration, I was probably tired and, and not thinking straight. And the coaches and everyone were going, Oh, we need to go in next Monday because we've got to organize a squad for the nines and we need to find a couple of extra players or a marquee player. And I just sat at the end of the table and I was like, oh, I'll play if you want, because it was in Perth and never thought anything of it. It was just one of the throwaway line and then Thursday the next week the footy manager rang goes oh I just spoke to the NRL about you playing in the nines and they reckon it's a great idea and I was like oh no <laughs> I don't know what I got myself into here but I was able to get myself fit stayed out of the way enough tackling was never a strong point of mine so it wasn't 
wasn't something I was going to bring to the nines anyway. But it was good fun and it was a good experience and I lived through it. Thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, you're a reminder, I reckon, that there's no perfect path. There's no cookie-cutter template for this. You learn from your mistakes. You achieve the ultimate. And it goes without saying, you have the ultimate individual story, that unforgettable final to go along with it. So well done on everything you achieved and thanks for sharing it with us today. No worries, mate. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online. You can find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.